0: Morning, everyone. Uh, very good to add my welcome to the one that you have received. Brilliant to have Ian and Lindsay Faramond with us and the family. Uh, so good to see you. And uh, Ian and Lindsay were, I know, yeah, and, and Naomi's sister as well, Rachel, who's here. We're very glad to welcome Rachel as well. Um, it's uh, Ian and Lindsay were missionaries that the church uh, supported for a season. And uh, brilliant to, to have you with us this morning. But all of you, whether you're new to this church, or new to church at all, or whether you've been here or been around church for many, many decades, uh, then we are so glad that you're here. And I really do hope you've been made to feel welcome. I, I just, as just we were, uh, Tim was praying there, I just had this wonderful, just sense of gratitude to God for this church family. Um, you, walk, you walk in here and you see so many smiling faces and so much uh, love and genuine interest and concern from people. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. I want to thank the welcome team for the awesome ministry that they have. And we're going to have tea and coffee later and people have worked hard to prepare that. And. Of course, what's happens here on a Sunday is just a tiny little fraction of what God is doing among us, but it's, it's worth celebrating, and I'm thankful. And the way Dan and, and Matthew led us in our worship just now, um, just acknowledging the presence of the Holy Spirit and praying, leading us in songs that would pray for him to come and move among us in power, and just Dan's prayer, just constantly talking about different ways that we would point people to Jesus, bring them to Jesus, show them Jesus. And, and that's so aligned with uh, what we're looking at in the scriptures today. So I just, uh, I just praise God and thank God for what he's doing in our midst. Man, how, how fragile and broken and needy we are as God's people. How far we have to go in the, in the path that he has for us. But tell you what, there's so much to be thankful for. God is here and we gather together as his people and celebrate his goodness to us in Jesus Christ. What a gift. I'm not sure to what extent you've been able to be caught up in the various jubilee celebrations that have been taking place over this weekend. I confess that regrettably, I've not managed to engage in many aspects of it at all. Um, but I did see By the way, just I'm, I'm on the lookout for, I'm sure there's been lots of good TV programs all about the Queen's reign to this point. I need, I need one that I can watch. So if any of you have the definitive one, I already had one recommendation from the Wilsons uh, but, on iPlayer, but if, if you guys have one program that I need to watch just to catch up and to celebrate this uh, wonderful moment, then uh, I would really welcome your recommendations. Message me or email me or let me know after the service. Uh, but I did see this one 90-second clip of an anecdote from the Queen's former Royal Protection Officer, a guy by the name of Richard Griffin. I suspect many of you have seen this clip. It's, got somewhat, it's gone somewhat viral on social media, and it's about an encounter the Queen and he had when they stopped for a picnic. Let's watch it, it's great.
1: And normally, on these picnic sites, you, you meet nobody, but there was two hikers coming towards us, and the Queen would always stop and say hello. And it was two Americans on a walking holiday. And it was clear from the moment that we first stopped, they hadn't recognised the Queen, which is fine. And the American gentleman was telling the Queen where he came from, where they were going to next, and where they'd been to in Britain. And I could see it coming, and sure enough, he said to her Majesty, and where do you live? (laughs) And she said, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday home just the other side of the hills. (laughs) And he said, well, how often have you been coming up here? Oh, she said, I've been coming up here ever since I was a little girl, so over 80 years. And you could see the clogs thinking. He said, well, if you've been coming up here for 80 years, you must have met the Queen. I love and it. as quick as a flash, she says, well, I haven't. The dick meets so her regularly. <laughs> so the guy said to me, oh, you've met the Queen. What's she like? And because I was with her a long time and I knew I could pull a leg, I said, oh, she can be very cantankerous at times, <laughs> but she's got a lovely sense of humour. Anyway, the next thing I knew, this guy comes round put his arm around my shoulder, and before I could see what was happening, he gets his camera, gives it to the Queen, and says, can you take a picture of the two of us? <laughs> anyway, we swapped places, and I took a picture of them with the Queen, and we never let on, and we waved goodbye, and then a Majesty said to me, I'd love to be a fly in the wall when he shows us photographs to the friends in America, and hopefully someone tells him who I am.
0: <laughs> I don't know if you caught that Then he said, hopefully someone tells them who I am. I've seen that clip a number of times now, and I just cannot help but smile every single time I see it. Here's the question. What is it that is appealing and enjoyable about that clip? It's that we know who the queen is, and that we can't believe that these two hikers didn't know. And as the clip continues as the queen humbly and playfully lets the conversation unfold, that sense of astonishment that we have grows. We cannot believe what is happening, even to the point of her taking a photo for these folk. And of course, all the time in the background, we're desperate to know, just as was alluded to at the end there, what is going to happen? What happened when they found out who on earth they had encountered that day? There is this feeling that we have, That if we had been there in that moment, we would make sure that eventually these people knew, this is the queen. If we were there, we would definitely not have let them walk away without letting them know that reality. And it's in this desire that we find the tension and the joy of this clip, that we want these people to know, do you know who you're talking to? That is much of what is going on. In the passage that Tim just read for us just now, John is continuing to introduce us to Jesus. If we've been reading carefully up to verse 19, we already know who Jesus is. John has told us so much of who Christ is in the first 18 verses of this gospel we also know that John the Baptist's mission was to let the people of his day know who Jesus was. So we've already been introduced to John the Baptist from verse 6 of John chapter 1. Read it with me if you would. There was a man sent from, John, sent from God Sorry, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, Jesus, that all might believe through him. He, John the Baptist, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. We've heard some of John's testimony in verse 15. We'll come back to that because it's shared later in the passage that we're looking at just now. And so we read again and again in our verses for today that John the Baptist knows who Jesus is. But in a similar way to that clip swirling all around in this passage is the reality that so many don't yet know who Jesus is. And of course, any astonishment that we might feel as we watch that clip and hear the story of the the lack of understanding of who the queen was, that should be nothing compared to the tension We should feel about this Jesus who is being presented here, but with so few seeing and understanding who he is. You see, this is very much the case, the reality, for us in the world that we live in today. Largely gone in our culture is any sense of a sort of background, understanding, or certainly esteem for the person of Jesus. And yet, friends, we, many of us at least, who would hold on to and cherish and and, and claim the name of, of Christ as our Savior and Lord, we know, we know who He is. And in this passage, we have a few pointers as we consider how John the Baptist speaks and acts as to how we might speak and step forward together in, our, in terms of our words that we use, the actions that we share, the way that we live in this world. The first thing that we see from verse 19 onwards is that as we want to share Jesus with this world, it's not about who we are. Don't let the story focus in on yourself. Don't put yourself at the very center Of what's going on. So if you pick up from verse 19, these religious leaders have come to realize something of the prominence of the ministry of John the Baptist. And they basically want to know who are you? Who are you? And John's initial answer lets us know what they were really concerned about. So verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Christ if you've heard the word Messiah, same idea, same word, same concept. This is the Greek variant of the word Messiah. He's he's saying, I'm not the anointed one of God that you Jewish leaders are waiting on and calling for. I'm not the chosen one. I'm not the anointed Messiah. I'm not the Christ who had been promised in the Old Testament scriptures, who was gonna come and bring and reinstate God's rule and God's restoration. we have just been praying for God's kingdom to come. And John the Baptist is saying, it's not through me that this kingdom is going to come. And this was a very urgent, prevalent question of the day for God's people. Who's the Messiah? Who's the Christ? Where is he? When's he coming? As Don Carson puts it, first century Palestine was rife with messianic expectations. Is the Messiah coming? When? Who? Where? John the Baptist wants to make clear to them, that's not who I am. And then they continue to probe. Well, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet that that Moses spoke of? So here it's a a very clear reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses had told, Moses had made clear that God would raise up a, quote, prophet like me. And they're wondering, is that who you are? Are you the prophet that that Moses spoke of? But each time John plainly and clearly lets them know that's not me. So (laughs) somewhat perplexed, and it seems, I imagine, a little bit exasperated. In verse 22, they say, well, well, who on earth are you then? Come on, John, throw us a bone here. We've got to go back and tell our our fellow leaders something. We need some sort of answer as to who you are. Now, that might have been the moment where John could have dropped uh, in a few impressive aspects of who he was and who God had called him to be. You know, up up until that point, he kind of had to be pretty clear with them, right? Um, They've been wanting to, to know if he is or if he is connected to these incredible figures. So he has to pretty much answer plainly, no, I'm not the Christ. No, I'm not Elijah. No, I'm not this prophet that Moses spoke of. So now they're like, okay, well, who are you? And it's surely, I think, Put yourself in John's position here. Would it not have been tempting to go, Well, yeah, to be honest, I am kind of a big deal in the story of God? I am kind of a big deal. I mean, I'm not the Messiah, but actually, in a wee while, this Messiah is going to say that pretty much of all people born apart from Jesus, I'm the greatest in the world. I mean, Jesus literally said that of all men born of women, John the Baptist, there's none greater than John the Baptist. Or, if not that, if you didn't want to go that far, it would have been tempting, I think, to have given some sort of summary of his ministry, the unique story, the way that God had called him. But no, John the Baptist continually points away from himself and towards Jesus. Look at verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. So he's taking the words of Isaiah chapter 40. If you would, then please turn back to Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, This is a passage which points forward to praying for and and expecting an, an easing of the way of return of God's people from exile. Yes, from exile back to Jerusalem, but actually more fundamentally, from Isaiah 40 through to 66 in these chapters, it's actually pointing forward even more foundationally and fundamentally to the final and full and complete restoration that God is going to bring. So let's read the first five verses of Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So John is taking these verses and he's saying, you want to know who I am? I'm just a voice crying out. God is coming. Hope is coming is coming comfort is coming peace is coming god's kingdom is coming the revelation of god's glory is coming it's not about me it's not about who i am it's all about the one who will bring the restoration of god then in the next few verses john the baptist goes on from saying it's not about me to saying It's not about what I'm doing. So from verses 24 to 28 of our passage, the questions shift from being about who John the Baptist is to what it is that he is doing. So first of all, they want to know, why are you baptizing people? Now, that's a reasonable question. We might want to know the same thing. What was this baptism that John the Baptist was inviting people into? Well, There were some baptism practices that happened in that day. Sometimes, if someone was to convert to Judaism, there would be a baptism to signify that that moment of conversion to Judaism, or there were some groups who observed a daily baptism Um, because of verses like Ezekiel 36, verse 25, where it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and you'll know the passage. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. So because of some of those verses, there were some Jewish people who every single day had a a special ceremonial washing of sorts as as a baptism, a type of baptism. But here's the interesting thing. In those practices, people in those days would baptize themselves, They would just baptize themselves. So that was the sort of common practice that was established in the day. So this is perhaps why these religious leaders come up wanting to know, hey, John, why are you baptizing people? That's not the way we do things around here. And again, they're wondering, is this some sort of statement of some spiritual authority that you think that you have? If so, we want to know about it. We want to understand what's going on here. Now, that's why they're asking that. But what's important for us to realize is that once again, John doesn't really engage with their question. I'm sure he could have entered into a long theological discussion with them about the background and the scriptural warrant for what he was doing, but he he doesn't do that. He doesn't even answer their question as to why he's doing what he's doing. What does he do? He just points To Jesus again. Look at verse 26. John answered them. I baptize with water. Yeah, 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 yeah. I baptize with water. Okay, whatever. I'm not going to tell you why. He just goes on. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So earlier in quoting Isaiah... He's pointing to the wonderful work that Jesus is going to do in bringing God's kingdom, God's shalom. Well, here, he's just pointing to the incredible supremacy of Jesus. Forget me, forget what I'm doing, look at Jesus. And by the way, friends, this Jesus, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Listen to what one of the commentators, Craig Keener, writes about this. The most demeaning tasks performed by a household servant involved the master's feet. Washing the feet, carrying sandals, or unfastening thongs of sandals. To do such work was to be a slave. John the Baptist is saying, I don't even merit that role when it comes to this Jesus. So wonderful he is. So to that point, John the Baptist is just pointing away from himself, and towards Jesus. It's not about who I am, verses 19 to 23. It's not about what I'm doing, verses 24 to 28. It's about the majesty and the mission of Jesus. And my question for us to ponder this morning is, is that true for us? In terms of how we engage with the world around about us, people who don't know who this Christ is, is that how we do it? If you were trying to encourage a friend or or family member to come around this church community so that they might come to faith in Jesus, how would you do that? What would be your way in? I wonder what it would be that you would highlight about why they should consider that. And a danger, I think, that we need to be aware of is that we center our efforts to reach out to people on either a person or a group of people within the church family. So it could be anyone. It could be, wow, you know, in light of how special the time of worship was. Oh, Matthew Mill is one of our worship leaders. Come to Hillview because, you know, he leads worship really well. You know, whether it's a, a worship leader or whether it's your small group who you just cherish and love and you say, oh, come come meet these people who mean so much to me and who help me week by week. Or whether it's the, the, the care or the preaching of one of the elders or whether it's a group of people who are fired up about a particular aspect of ministry. Come and, oh, come and see what these people, these people have such a heart for the poor. Come and meet them. It's definitely the case friends, as you look at some of the problems that the church has encountered around the world, that different personalities can be made and lifted up and held up as as something that would draw people to the church, to a faith community. And it's, it's disastrous when that's the most important thing, when that's the first thing, come see this person or that person or these people. Because in them, you'll find some sort of hope, some sort of joy and peace for the future. My goodness, Lord God, keep us from that in this church family. Or, so, you know, as we think about how we can engage with people, we might be tempted to, to draw them to a person or, or a group of people, or perhaps we might want to focus on an aspect of the ministry of this church. So I just, I'll let you know that over the, over the years, there have been a few times in this church family that people have come to faith And have been, and this is worth celebrating, there's no two ways about it, but have been so struck, so positively struck by the sense of family that they have encountered. And that is, it's a good and that's an encouraging thing. But there have been a few conversations that I've had to have with folk where I've had to say, listen, it's great that you're feeling encouraged by the connections in the life of the church. But don't hold on too tightly to that. Don't find too much hope in that. Because here's the truth. We will let you down. I will let you down. This church will let you down. And invariably, it always happens. (laughs) Some way or another, we all let one another down. Why? Because we're sinners, we're messed up, we're selfish, and all the rest of it. Right, so so and I've had to say to people: don't hold on too tightly to your joy that you're finding in, in, in an aspect of, of ministry in this church. Do not put that at the center of what God is doing in your life. Make sure Jesus is at the very center. And we need to make sure that this is the case for us in terms of how we pray for and think about new people coming around this church. We had a a great discussion in our staff meeting on Wednesday. We're we're going through a a podcast together and we're just reflecting on it. And and one of the presenters of the podcast was saying that our priorities in Jesus' church should be in this order, Jesus, community, mission. And we were talking around that a little bit. We were pondering that and different ways that the scripture might lead us to frame who we are and and what we're to be about as, as God's people. But I think where we landed and what we were challenged by, to be honest, was the importance of that first point. What is it that we're calling people to as we invite people to be part of the community of faith of Hillview Community Church? Jesus first. Jesus. Jesus, community mission that first point is is pretty undeniable as to what we should be about not the family feel not the inspiring mission we have not the sense of shared learning that we can engage in these things are all wonderful aspects of what we're called to but only to the extent that Jesus is at the very very center of all of them and that they bring us to him and that's what John is doing in these first verses it's not about me It's about the one in whom we find hope for lasting restoration and peace. It's not about what I'm doing in this baptism or in any aspects of our ministry. I'm just baptizing with water. He's letting the people know that is just a small act that is pointing to the greater, incredible work that Jesus is doing. And that should be how we think of our ministry. We're just offering a space here in this room, week by week, to come and meet Jesus Our small groups are just that deeper community where we can know the fellowship and the care and the help of Jesus more deeply in and through the lives of our brothers and sisters. Renew is a wonderful ministry in the church. Why? Because it's a space that we are offering people because we recognize that Jesus drew near and cared for those who were struggling. Alpha is an opportunity to understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the changes to our garden. That you might have read about in the weekly news recently, the changes to our building that we're praying God will bring about in time, these are to point to the beauty and splendor of Jesus and the welcome that he offers to every person in this community. Our heart for those in need around the world is rooted in our cry that ways would be made straight for the peace and reign of Jesus Christ to come, and so on, and so on. Every little ministry of this church, small acts that all point back to big, glorious, awesome Jesus. Is that true of us, of all that we celebrate and aspire towards for this family of faith? Are we clear that Jesus is at the very center? Jesus was for John the Baptist in terms of how he thought of himself and his ministry. May it be the case for us also. So as we come to communion now, this idea, this fundamental reality that we are to be all about Jesus Christ is underlined for us in the final verses of our passage from verse 29 onwards and we're just gonna dart through them, looking at some ways just that Jesus has lifted up. And just, you know what, if, you're cold, if your heart's cold just now, just pray for the Holy Spirit to come and send the fire that he sent on the day of Pentecost. That uh, you would know and, and wonder at the reality of the mighty wonders of God, as they put it in Acts chapter 2. Most clearly seen in the person of Jesus Christ. John says, verse 29, he saw Jesus coming toward him the next day and said, behold, I mean, even in that, right, he's just saying, look, look, away from me. Behold Jesus. See him for who he is. Look at what he has come to do. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not all the world. We know that from chapter one earlier where it says uh, not all, uh, the.'" Uh, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, right? So, not all in the world, but, but, but Jesus came to bear the sins for anyone who would come to him, the sin of the whole world. And this idea, the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world would have sparked all kinds of illusions for John's hearers. He, they, they might have thought of Isaac's question to his father Abraham in Genesis 22. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is a lamb for the burnt offering? Do you remember what Abraham's answer was? He said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. It might have led them to think of Isaiah Chapter 53, from verse 6 All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. They might have thought, In a different sense, of the the Passover lamb that was there to protect God's people from judgment and the, the ongoing, then, sacrifice of remembrance that they observed, which had become so crucial to God's people. Listen to this in Exodus chapter 29. This shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell Among them, I am the Lord their God. All of this was was bound up in this sacrifice, this ongoing sacrifice of the Passover lamb that God's people were to do again and again and again. John's saying, This lamb, so rich in the Old Testament scriptures, it's Jesus. It's Jesus, the Lamb who will be given by God for sacrifice, for bearing our sins, for protection from God's judgment, for that ongoing reality of our safety and security in and dwelling in God. John the Baptist is saying, Luke, he's here. He's here, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. From verse 30 and 31. We see that John is again highlighting the the complete supremacy of Jesus. In verse 32, John is highlighting the anointing of God that rests on Jesus. Let's read that together. John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. It remained on him. This is no normal man. This is no passing ruler for whom the, the, the anointing of God remained for a time, but then he, then he blew it like Saul, or he, he died physically. You know, this is no normal ruler. This is different. God's spirit rests on Jesus, and it remains on him. In verse 33, John highlights that this Jesus will invite us to know the fullness of God as was promised in years gone past. God's rule and God's reign would no longer, at one time, would no longer be an external reality that people would try and live in light of, but in Jesus, we would be invited into all that God is, baptized not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful thing for us to think about on this day of Pentecost. And then finally, in verse 34, John the Baptist highlights something that John the Evangelist, the writer of this gospel, has already made clear to us about the divine authority of Jesus. He, writes there, he says there, John the Baptist, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Or there's a bit of manuscript variance here. Some of your uh, translations might speak of the chosen one of God. Regardless of, of which it is, the point is clear this, is, this Jesus is no mere man. John the Baptist is saying, this is my testimony. This is what I want you to see. This is who I want you to see. Not me, not my ministry, but Jesus. In all his wonderful majesty and saving power and invitation, this is Jesus. Hudson Taylor The famous English missionary to China was once being introduced as the speaker at a large church in Australia, and the moderator of the service introduced the missionary in eloquent and glowing terms. He told the congregation of all that Taylor had accomplished in China, and then presented him as he came up to the pulpit as, quote, our illustrious guest. And apparently, Hudson Taylor stood quietly for a moment and then opened his message by saying, dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. That's how we come to this table this morning, my friends. The little servants of an awesome, illustrious master. We think of the amazement of, this, of that story, that clip that we watched at the start of the service and how incredible it was that they didn't know it was the queen they were talking to. Dear friends, that is but a dim reflection of the reality of how this world relates to Jesus. They have no idea who he is. And we have the task of following on from John the Baptist and saying behold look the lamb of god and in that we just need to posture ourselves day by day as little servants of this stunning great savior we are sinners in need of the salvation of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are men and women who are prone to think more of ourselves than we ought to need to humbly bow before this Jesus in humble gratitude for all of who he is and what he has done. We're dry and thirsty and weary saints in need of the reminder that Jesus came to baptize us. In the Holy Spirit, to invite us into the fullness of who God is. Dear friends, look among us here as we look at this bread representative of the the body given by the Lord Jesus, as we look at these little cups of juice which represent for us the, the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Behold... The Lamb of God, Jesus is here among us. His work is finished and he is present with us. May we come to him today and point to him this week. I'm just gonna pray in just a moment. I just want to let you know that um, this is what we call an open table, um, which means that everyone is welcome to come and partake of this meal If you cherish what this table points to, which is the finished work of Jesus Christ, if you love Jesus, if he's your Lord, if he's your savior, if you think that that is the reality that has been awakened in your heart today, even though you're not entirely sure and you'd like to explore that, come, come and partake, come and share in this time. We're gonna basically have a time of response now and I'm gonna ask Mike and Janet and they're gonna come and stand here either side of the table and just when you're ready, we're gonna sing. Uh, we're going to have some moments of quiet as I pray, then we'll sing. Uh, just when you're ready, I just invite you to come forward, take a little piece of bread. They've been cut up for you uh, today very carefully. This is the first time we're not using the little plastic cups, but uh, just we're not tearing loaves and passing on, uh, but we are just inviting you just to take a little piece of bread, a little cup of juice, and just to celebrate the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So let's pray. Father, by your spirit, as we hear those words, behold the Lamb of God, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, I pray. Open our eyes to to see past the temporal, finite things that pass away, to see the lasting, eternal, wonderful reality that you are God, that though we are sinners who have rejected you and gone our own way, you've not left us in our sin, but that you have provided a rescue, a Savior, who took upon himself the punishment for the wrong things that we've done and invites us in to his victory over sin and death. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh Lord, I pray that we would understand it's not about me, it's not about us, that we would understand that together, that it's not about the, the importance of any particular activity of this church, but Lord, that we would be a people, a family, who would point to you at the very center of all that we do, that more than anything, we would be desperate to encounter the living Christ and to share him and point to him in this world in which we live, which is so needy, who have no idea of the illustrious master, glorious savior that you are. So as we come to this table, Lord, we come with thankful hearts, thankful for all that Jesus has done for us, thankful for, for all that Jesus is to us. And we pray that as we take this bread and this juice, we will be reminded that you're no longer an external uh, reality, but you're, you're in us, you're with us, that we would taste of your goodness today and that we would step forward from this day onwards, celebrating and pointing towards the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Help us now as we respond. Help us worship you in spirit and in truth, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.